하고 나서 So if there's one meditation that really is like the essence or a real good sampling, a good sampling of all that we've done for these last eight weeks, I would just suggest it might be balancing earth and sky. And that's fully embracing all the other practices. It's not to suggest that's what you should focus on and so forth. It's just one that, that really captures the spirit of what we're doing here. And the earth being, of course, this resting, this kind of Dzogchen approach. You're familiar with it now. It's good. It's nice to see it's so familiar, right? Just settling body, speech, and mind. The awareness becoming still, but so loose, so relaxed. Not still because you're holding it so tightly. Just relaxed. And then letting the light of your awareness, like the light inside a kerosene lamp, you know, the flame inside a kerosene lamp, just then filling the lamp, filling the space of the lamp, filling the space outside the lamp. Um, but it does have that translucent border. So resting there in that sheer luminosity of your awareness and letting it illuminate the space, the somatic space. Because even the notion, the space of your body is already misleading. Because that means you bring in the mental image, here's my body, here's the space inside of it. Don't need that. Somatic space, that's good. That's nice and clean. doesn't invite projections. You know, it's a somatic space. A space of experience in which you feel the fluctuations of the field. You know, may the force be with you. Uh, and so then just resting there. And that deep release with every out-breath. Just releasing and releasing. Maintaining the stillness. So once again, we have that simultaneity of your awareness, of being aware, with the awareness of the movements of those fluctuations. That's a very familiar theme, and it's really core. You'll see that goes all the way through up to Rikpa. Right? The stillness of Rikpa, and then all the effulgences, all the play of Rikpa, simultaneously being aware of both, aware that they're of the same nature. So again, that like that spiral where you have this deja vu and then a deja vu and a deja vu, as you keep on finding similar themes, but you're spiraling in right upon the center. So that can be for the first part of the session. Earth, grounding yourself in space with the fluctuations of the field. And then, and then I just decided we'll have this session be silent because I'd like it to be at your own pace. You may, out of 24-minute session, you may spend the first 23 minutes or whatever, just in that. If that's what's really speaking to your heart, speaking to your body, your mind, like this is, this is the medicine you need right now, then stay there. No reason to kind of move on. And we haven't kind of, if you're drinking two glasses of water and you're really enjoying the first one, go ahead and drink it to the end. And if you're not quite ready for the second one, well, then just sip the second one. But whatever it is, this is what I'd like to have the next session silent. And that is, I suggest, after settling body, speech, and mind, then this Dzogchen approach to mindfulness of breathing. And then when it feels right, then you can kind of just release any deliberate attention given to the fluctuations of the breath, and then simply rest. And then in that resting, if you wish, and again, I'd be very happy for there to be a variety here, if you wish, then you may maintain just, again, that just that peripheral awareness of the ebb and flow of the breath, as you're breathing out, just releasing into space, as the breath just gently flows in, a freely given gift every time it flows in, you may arouse, accentuate your awareness, awareness of awareness, and then as the breath flows out, releasing into space again, and that sheer absence of object, that sheer absence of appearances, just releasing and arousing. And then at some point when, that, when it feels right, then you may feel, well, you know, when I'm arousing, I'm feeling spacious. When I'm releasing, I'm aroused. In the sense of just the clarity, the vividness, the brightness of awareness. That it's not getting dimmed or diffuse, you know, spaced out. And so then when you see, well, there's really actually not much difference, maybe no difference between the arousal and the release, then release the oscillation. And just rest right there in the indivisibility of luminosity and emptiness. Luminosity and space rest there and let yourself be blessed by your own mind, your own substrate consciousness, your own rigpa. Right? Very simple. But then take it at your own pace. So if it winds up being mostly mindfulness of breathing, perfect. 
if it winds up being three minutes of mindfulness breathing, then oscillation for 15 minutes, and then settling, fine. If you find you just whip right through the mindfulness of breathing oscillation, and after three or four minutes, you're ready just to rest in that equality, that indivisibility of luminosity and emptiness, go for it. That's why I don't want to talk. That's why I'm front-loading the meditation. So take it at your own pace, acting as your own mentor, as if you were threading a needle, as as, as Leda Plimba says. Okay? Ready for that? Okay, let's go for it. Oh, no, so. There are so many things that money can't buy. And peace of mind is one of them. We'll pick up and we will finish this transitional process of meditation today, this afternoon. We pick up on page 186. So once again, I keep on saying, but it's good to keep on coming back and back. From this perspective, when you're resting in Rikpa Choksha, Rikpa Choksha, just resting, just present, just present is nice, just present in Rikpa, Rikpa Choksha. When you're simply resting in Rikpa, whatever appears is liberated in its own state, released all by itself. So appearances are free of negation and affirmation, as is stated in the primary tantra on the reverberation of sound. So from this perspective, appearances are free of negation and affirmation. This really goes right to the core, to the deepest level. And that is, from this perspective, you're not affirming nirvana or negating samsara. You're not, from this perspective, you're not affirming virtue and negating non-virtue. You're not averting mental afflictions and trying to cultivate wholesome mental states. This is just transcending all of those polarities where there's no conflict, nothing to accept, nothing to reject. So this primary tantra on the reverberation of sound states, thus everything is ultimate reality. It's dharmata. And apart from this, there is nothing to be accepted and not the slightest thing to be left aside. So that utter one taste, the one taste of all phenomena. Whatever appears is ultimate reality. You see, it is non-different. And again, the spiraling is just, frankly, it's stunning, it's magnificent. Go right back to the Prajnaparamita Sutra, to the Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Apart from form, there's no emptiness. Apart from emptiness, there is no form. And that is as you're attending to appearances of all form. And that is, the word form refers to any type of appearance whatsoever, right? Any type of appearance. Even the appearance of emotions or tactile sensations, memories or what have you. That simply by your ascertainment of appearances, you're realizing emptiness. And simply by realizing emptiness, you are realizing form or appearances. So whatever appears is appearances themselves are not other than ultimate reality, dharmata, which of course is not other than, it's identical to, shunyata. Whatever appears is ultimate reality, and apart from this there is no contrived ultimate reality. There's nothing apart from this, nothing you have to imagine or conceptualize, nothing. Whatever is done, non-conceptuality arises. So we're really moving close to just being totally immersed in and fully manifesting Dharmakaya. Because when you are a Samyak Sambuddha, when you are authentically, perfectly awakened, or an awakened being, then you engage in inconceivable arrays of activity. But they're all happening spontaneously, effortlessly, and non-conceptually. The Buddhist mind, any Buddhist mind, always rests in a state of non-conceptuality. And out of that space of non-conceptuality, then actions just, just emerge. Like rainbows just appearing in the sky and then dissolving back into the sky. Like a reflection of the moon appearing in a pool of water and then, then it's gone. You know. Kangla Kondul is Tibetan. Kangla Kondul. And that is wherever there is one, 
wherever there's a sentient being being whose mind can be tamed, calmed, trained, then there's the Buddha. There's the Buddha. Wherever there's a mind to be trained, there's the Buddha, ready. Effortless, complete, spontaneous. Whatever is done, non-conceptuality arises without rejecting or accepting. It is self-appearing, just spontaneously manifesting, spontaneously dissolving. The jewel-studded gem states, when penetrating consciousness shines on objects, appearances are self-aware, are self-appearing. At that time, let consciousness be uninhibited. So nominally speaking, we can say there's the object over there, there's whatever the object may be. There's the object over there, and it's illuminated by consciousness, right? Whether it's your, your coarse mind, like visual perception, illuminating, right? Illuminating, because the images are not coming from the object. We go back, way, way back to that, as I'm you know, tending to, you know, whatever comes up. The appearances are illuminated by consciousness. On the coarse level of mind, on the substrate consciousness, you may, when you're dwelling in, in, in the substrate consciousness, you may, if you wish, Turn the laser point of your attention, the laser pointer of your attention, to the past and recall past memories, even past life memories. And so there it is, that's that luminosity of your substrate consciousness illuminating the memory. So an image or kind of a video clip, a sequence of images arises, illuminated. So there on that secondary level, on this deepest level, Rikpa, in the space of Dhammadhatu, in the space of Dhammadhatu or Dhammata, Whatever appearances arising, on the one hand, you say, well, they're illuminated by, what else would they be illuminated by? By rikpa, pristine awareness, primordial consciousness. But there's no duality. There's no light over here illuminating something over there. It's a complete and primordial non-duality, coextensive, same nature, utterly non-dual, between the space of Dhammadhatu, the absolute space of phenomena, and that primordial consciousness, which is coextensive with that space. So it's never a light over here illuminating something over there, right? So if that's the case, if the luminosity of primordial consciousness is coextensive with, permeates, saturates in that space of Dhammadhatu, it is illuminating all phenomena, but then as it illuminates all phenomena in a non-dual fashion, then they're self-illuminating self-appearing, because there's no external source shining some light on them. So at that time, let consciousness be uninhibited. So when you're, again, in this non-meditation meditation, meditation, uninhibited means just, just present, just present in Rigpa. No containing, no directing, no pulling, no pushing, just release. There's a nice image. Uh, it comes in, uh, pretty sure it comes in the Spacious Path of Freedom, this, uh, this classic treatise on the union of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. And it's a, it's a Mahamudra. It's a Mahamudra metaphor. It's really, it will, you will remember it because it's really simple and really sweet. And that is when you, when you simply release into Rikpa, then it's like taking a, a bale, a, a, a tightly bound bale of hay, remember? tightly bound. We've all seen that, where they get a machine. I mean, it, uh, muscles would be really hard to bind it that tightly. They get a machine to, to really squeeze that, that hay together, you know, with a very strong cord. And so it's really tight, right? All, all compacted. And then you take your snipper, you take your snippers, you go like that. And then just, whoosh, it just, whoosh, like that, right? Falls apart. Just that you, you, but you can imagine it. I mean, it's so easy to visualize. Just It was so tightly constrained, right? And then cut, and then... Whew, that's consciousness uninhibited. It's not going this way or that way. It's just... Whew. We've seen that mudra before, I'm sure. I've seen, I'm sure I've seen it someplace. <laughs> Beautiful image. I, I'll never forget it. So at that time, that's consciousness uninhibited. Self-arising awareness states... The meaning of having nothing on which to meditate is to not reject anything. So this is really core, really core. When it says anything, it's not 
That means anything. That you're not rejecting the hell realms, you're not rejecting preta, you're not rejecting, rejecting evil, you're not rejecting anything. Because from your perspective, there's nothing to be rejected. Right? If you have no grasping or attachment, you discover the unsurpassable. So that's the way it is all the way through. From mindfulness of breathing, attend to the breath without grasping, without trying to control, without modifying, without identifying with it, without possessing it, without expecting, without preferring. All of those are expressions of grasping, grasping and attachment. And it starts there, right? Just, you know, you could, you could start with five-year-olds with a monkey on the belly, right? Five-year-olds with monkey on the belly. And just say, okay, kids, you know, you've just given some cookies and milk, so they're happy. And now put a little one of those stuffed, stuffed monkeys on their belly. They're all lying down, nice and warm and cozy. And they got the monkey on the belly. And now just, you could teach it right there, right? I'm sure, I've never done it with five-year-olds, but I know people who have, Susan Kaiser Green in particular. You could teach them from age five, age four, to attend just to the sensations of the rise and fall of the belly with the monkey on the belly and with no grasping. Just don't try to modify. Just be aware. The monkey going up, monkey going down. You know? So it should start off fun. Right? Samadhi is born from bliss. So said the Buddha. And if it starts with a monkey on the belly, skillful means. Oh, yeah. If you have no grasping or attachment, you discover the unsurpassable. Without rejection and free of an object, that is rejected. There is no objectified rejector, so how could there be anything rejected? Deja vu. Right, Amir? Deja vu, we've heard that before. Is there something about which you're getting information? Informata, perhaps. Is there some information being transferred? Is there someone who is informed? Right? You remember that one? You all, you all know your quantum cosmology. You've, you've studied that, right? And then you know, take out any one of those three, and the other two are not left standing. And they don't go anywhere. Isn't it amazing? That which about what you're being informed, that which about, your be about which you're being informed, the information about it, and being informed, the inf one who is, in is informed, take away any one of them, just bring in your tweezers, and pull it out, throw it away, and the other two just go... <laughs> In the very instant you remove one of them, the other two don't go anywhere. That's quite remarkable. Because after all, the thing about which you're being informed, it, it really seems to be there. You know, I mean, look at it. Look at it. It seems totally there from its own side. And then information. I mean, that's, you know, that's the difference between a good cell phone and a poor cell phone. One holds a lot of information and, does, and transmits it very quickly. And the old-fashioned kind, less information and slower, right? So information, I mean... This is the information age, right? So information, well, that's... How much information did you learn? Uh, you know, how much information? How much information? Well, it's, that's about as real as it gets. And then, of course, the person who understands, the person who is informed. Very real, very important. You know, without which nothing happened. But then again, that simple theme. If you could just remove one, the other two were just immediately gone. So in a similar fashion, that which is to be rejected, that's what he says here. The same theme, exactly, shows the non-inherent nature of the three of the inf that which about which you're informed, the information, and the one who is informed. What this unavoidably points to, unavoidably, if one understands it, then you are forced to the conclusion that no one of those three is inherently existent. Because if they were, then they would remain there, holding their own ground, having hold, holding their own characteristics. Say, hey, hey bring me another. Inf informed person in here. I'm, I'm waiting to be. I'm waiting to give some information to somebody. I'm hanging out here. Bring in another consciousness, but it doesn't. Take out any one of three, other two vanish immediately. Then they all have to be inherent exist, devoid of inherent existence. And now we just slip right over to another adjective, another verb, I should say, that which is to be rejected, the act of rejecting, and the one who rejects. Right? Same thing. I will abstain from this. Oh, I don't, I don't like anger. This is what Rinpoche was hammering me a long time ago when I was complaining, oh, I'm so sick and tired of being, having a temper, being angry and so tired of the mental affliction. He said, stop it. You know, just, when it comes up, just observe it. And of course, view it. 
view it. And if you view it, then you, if you're really bringing some wisdom to it, you'll see, number one, at the very least, you'll see it's just an empty impulse, it's just an empty appearance, and it itself has no power whatsoever. Any more than you know, showing a photo or something has no power. And then if you really go deep, you see it's not only empty, but what else is it? Hosa, what else is it? It's luminous. Yeah, now we've gone to as far as the substrate consciousness. That's good. That's a big step in the right direction. And then if you keep on going deeper, as you're simply observing a burst of anger, right? you see it's empty. Then you see it's by nature luminous. And keep on probing into it. Keep on going deeper, deeper. Now what do you see? Mirror-like wisdom, mirror-like wisdom, a pure effulgence, a display of pristine awareness. And at that level, there's clearly nothing to reject. Right? Even on the luminosity level, there's nothing to reject. It's just luminosity. It only gets toxic way up there. There's, said, there's, a, there's a nice phrase, I remember it. See if I, see if, see if I remember. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that's it. Kam komala mige me. In the higher realms, there's no non-virtue. In the higher realms, just about sure that's exactly what it says. And that is, to the higher realms, we have the desire realm. There's lots of non-virtue here. Read the newspaper any day. So sure, we have that. And that means we have to be very meticulous, like Padmasambhava, like Atisha, and so forth, because it really counts. We will, we will reap as we sow, so we're going to get it. It will come back. But when you, as soon as you go into the form realm, and then the formless realm. These are the higher realms, more subtle realms. As soon as you cross that threshold into the form realm, there's no non-virtue. It didn't say there's no mental afflictions, because you can be attached to it and so forth, but there's no non-virtue. Let alone on the formless realm. You wouldn't have any target for your non-virtue, right? So, which would mean then, in terms of actions in the higher realms, there would be nothing to reject. And when, quiz time, because it's the last, you know, second to the last day, um, when is it you cross the threshold into that form realm? When do you actually get into it, cross the threshold? When does that occur? No, when, when do you first cross the threshold into the form realm? When you reach shamatha, yes, access to, access to the first jhana. The first jhana is in the form realm. If you've accessed the first jhana, you've accessed the form realm. And so Tsongkhapa is extremely clear in this regard. Um, and that is, you may have just superb samadhi. I mean, just, you may be able to go in and stay for hours and just your mind, your mind so crystal clear and your senses totally shut down. Such a sense of serenity, of peace, of imperturbability. Just this equanimity. Stable, clear, serene, pleasant, ever so pleasant. And you've not achieved Shamatha. Only when there is this, and Tsongkhapa creates this as clearer than any, any other great contemplative that I've seen. But my, my knowledge is very limited, but it's superbly clear. You're there and you think, hey, Shamatha can't be any better than this. I don't want anything better than this. This is like, this could be stage nine, for example. Where you slip into Samadhi, the difference between stage eight and stage nine. Stage eight, when you're sitting down to meditate, it takes a little bit of effort to go in. Like you've all seen a puck on a, on a hockey, hockey ring. Hockey, hockey ring, yeah? Ring? Rink. rink. There we go. Think it ink. Rink a dink, dink. Hockey dink, rink. So, but you've all seen that, right? So imagine you need to, let's say you've got a puck and you just, you just flick it. Flick it. And if it's freshly polished already, they've just polished it. And, they, and they, the game hasn't begun yet, then I'm assuming that's a very slick, very smooth surface. So you just go, click, and then the puck goes, as if it would go on forever, you know, because the friction is so little. Something like that. And that is you just, oh, flick, and then you're in. A little bit of effort at the beginning. Then you're in for hours, two, three, four hours, whatever you like. You know? But ninth stage, you don't even go need to go to flick. You don't need to give any effort to go in. You just, just go right in, effortless. 
effortless in, effortless staying in. That'd be nice. I have no idea what that was a tangent from. But it's kind of cool. Yeah. So on that level then, yeah, the luminosity. Then you just rest in that effortlessly. And there's nothing to reject in that. In terms of action, just you need to then release more. The clinging and oh that's gonna be a big temptress. Tempter, temptress, gender non specific temptation. You know. But if you can release that then you cut through to Rikpa. And now whatever's coming up, whether it's anger, you're simply seeing it. It's simply this spontaneous effulgence, like a, like a light show. Just pew, like that. And nothing in it toxic whatsoever. It is simply not a mental affliction. It's not afflicting anything at all. Right? So then nothing to, reject, to be rejected. Hmm. So then the mound of jewels states, O speech vajra, and Padmasambhava, especially the lakeborn vajra, lakeborn vajra, soke dorje, saroruha vajra, speech, vajra speech. Oh, speech vajra, with your empty consciousness, observe the primordial consciousness of all appearances. That would be that primordial consciousness of the full range of phenomena, that visionary clear light, right? That spreads out and illuminates all phenomena with your empty consciousness. So again, it has no nucleus, it has no center. It's not like, like there's, there, I believe it's true for all galaxies. I'm no expert, anything like an expert, but I believe in all the galaxies, the center is a black hole. So it really does have a center. You know, black hole, so it sucks in light. Right? And then you have this, the, usually the swirls and what have you. But there's a center to it, right? But when it comes to the pristine awareness, primordial consciousness, and the array of appearances, the primordial consciousness is not a black hole. It's not in the center. There is no center and there's no periphery. That's really core. There's no center and no periphery, no edge. So it's empty. But it illuminates all appearances. All appearances of every kind arise to assist it. Amazing. So when you're still on the path, now that theme, reality, rises up to meet you. True from the first ages, from the first stages, when you're a baby, when you're still wearing diapers, basically, like I was when I was 20. Knew almost nothing, understood almost nothing. Not remarkable. I was, I was not remarkable in any way. I remember. I, wasn't a, I was smart, but nothing special, really. Yeah, straight-A student. How many of those are there? A dime a dozen, you know. There was nothing, nothing at all. Just a yearning to live a more meaningful life. That's pretty much it. And a prayer. You know. A pops a Buddhist monk. You know. Reality rising up to meet me. One would be completely delusional to think, oh, that's because you're a special being. You must be some tukul. You must be somebody special. You must you must give it a rest. Yeah, special. We're all special. But it was sincere, it was, it was genuine, wanting to find you know, a greater meaning. And there was the first evidence to me, so clear, so clear. That was just a turning point. When it was that morning and that afternoon, I said, wow, that was, that was a short order, short order chef, you know. I, 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 I said, you know, hamburgers and fries, and hamburgers and fries it was, you know. Wise old man, I want a wise old man, wise old man. There's wise, old, he's a man, got it, that was just what I ordered. <laughs> And so effortless, you know, so effortless. And then the story just goes on, and that's just one story. It's a very nice story. It's just one story. So it said when the yogi goes up on the side of the mountain, you heard this one, I think I've told you already, but when the yogi, who doesn't have two pennies to rub together, goes up on the side of the mountain with pure motivation, authentic motivation, and sits in his cave, then food will roll uphill so that he has everything he needs. He, she. So I'd like to watch that one day. We should get that on video. There it goes. <laughs> oh, yeah.
So all kinds, all appearances of every kind arise to assist it. So when you're on the path, when there's still something more to unfold, to manifest, to, perf- to bring to perfection, then if a 20-year-old can recognize, whoa, that was just what I was aspiring for, and there it is, and he gave me just what I needed, not more and not less, and it wasn't much. I didn't need much guidance. I, didn't really, I just wanted direction, basically. I wanted a bit of encouragement that I wasn't just isolated on my own with no help. No guidance, nobody caring. One is some indicator of that. I got it. So if that's true there, for just a college kid, that's all it was, then imagine here now, you're resting in Rikpa. You've achieved shamatha, you've achieved vipassana. You're resting in Rikpa. Your practice has now been just simplified to no practice at all. Because you have only one practice, and that is sustain that flow of Sustaining the view, the Dzogchen view, viewing from Rigpa. Well, you're still on the path. So now every single appearance is not waiting for eight hours for a wise old man to pop up in a black BW bug and give me a ride. Didn't have to wait. Now this person doesn't wait eight hours. Every single appearance, every single appearance, whatever it is, everyone's arising. Reality is now just homogeneously from all directions flowing in every single moment arising to aid you in your practice. There is no possibility of barche, anything that's arising as an obstacle to your practice. Not from that perspective. From substrate, could be from, from relative mind, ho oh, oh, all the time. So all appearances of every kind arise to assist it. Amazing. Because now you're finding out not only about the nature of awareness right down to the ground, you're finding, about, finding out about the nature of reality that all appearances are rising to aid you, to assist you, to nurture and sustain you so that you come to your full flowering, full awakening. The whole of reality, all of existence, is now entirely oriented towards your awakening. You're in the center of the mandala, and everything in the mandala is all arising to help you. So of course there's nothing to accept, like, oh, thank you, I'll take that. Oh, I don't like, there's nothing to accept, nothing to reject, because everything is homogeneously and evenly arising to assist. So taknyam, purity and equality, everything equally. Amazing, yes, I think it is. Whatever appears, we continue from the mound of jewels, whatever appears, it does not budge from its own basis, from its own ground. Ha ha. So here we say, I told you that this would come up. This is not, this is not in verse, it's in prose, otherwise I would have, it would have been formatted a bit differently. But here it is, it's kind of this vajra laughter. This Vajra laughter from the depths of the cosmos, you know, from the ground of being. Whatever appears, it does not budge from its own basis, from its own ground. It doesn't move. It never moves. And yet there's appearance and there's disappearance. But it never moves. It never steps outside of it. It's never moving away from. There's nothing outside of its own ground, which is that primordial unity of Dhammadhatu and Dhammakaya. Ha ha. Like just jubilation. With your empty awareness, observe fully liberated appearances. You know what that means. They are as great as their own antidotes. Amazing. Mental afflictions are self-liberating on their own. Ha ha. So the mental afflictions, I mean, if we just put those two sentences together, the mental afflictions, the usual suspects, they are as great as, they're antidotes, they're as great as wisdom, compassion, power, the six perfections, any list of virtues you like. Equal, equal, equal. Amazing. With your empty awareness, observe the imaginary nature that is primordially liberated. The imaginary nature is whatever is projected by concepts and so forth. With your empty awareness, just observe the constructed, the contrived, the artificial, the, the relative. Observe its nature that is primordially liberated. So it's clear. Effortlessly. The result is obtained. The fruition. Fruition is probably better. The fruition is samyak sambuddhi. Authentic, perfect awakening. Samyak sambuddhi. Yandaba sobe changshup. Hmm. Well, it's effortlessly, the, the, the fruition. 
You have the ground, the path, and the fruition. The fruition is when you're manifestly a Buddha. You're experiencing all the qualities of a Buddha, all the wisdom, the compassion, the powers, mundane and supramundane powers of the Buddha. It's all, at this point, it just effortlessly obtained. Amazing. By apprehending one thing, all of samsara and nirvana are purified in non-duality. Ha ha. That'd be good. So things definitely get simpler and simpler the further you progress along the path. You start out with 84,000 mental afflictions, you wind up with this. It's a good deal. What can you say? We go back to self-arising awareness. Another text, it again states, do not cling to appearances. So again, my mind, I'm just telling you what comes to mind. In a, in, a, in a dream, if you cling to appearances, any appearances at all, appearances in your own mind within the dream, your thoughts within the dream, you cling to appearance, the form within the dream, you, you cling to any appearances of other people, situations, activity, places, anything. As soon as you cling, it's kind of sending a message to the, the dream, I don't want to be lucid. Because as, as long as, you can see why. Because as long as you're focusing on anything with clinging, with hope, with aspiration, fear, anxiety, grasping, and so forth, as soon as you've done that, you've kind of like just put blinkers on your eyes. Because that means, that means you're anti-lucid. You're still hoping, if I gaze over at Kim, oh, Kim will do something for me. Or she'll maybe not do something I don't want. She'll do something. She's over there, right? And as soon as Kim, anything, of course, Kim was representative of reality. Congratulations. Yeah. You know. But as soon as you tend to any appearances and thinking that your well-being hinges upon that, the job, the person, the place, the activity, your appearance, your health, anything, any appearance whatsoever. As soon as you have that sense that your well-being is contingent upon, hinges upon, depends upon any appearance, then that just, then the door just closed on lucidity, right? And then you know, as many of you have had lucid dreams by now, and then insofar as you're lucid, then it, it, then you would start saying, ha ha, ha ha, you know. There's a, there's a crocodile coming to gobble me up totally and chump me, you know, chow down on me. Ha ha, you know. Because I don't need to make it a smaller crocodile or make me bigger or anything. Ha ha. So no hope, no fear, no desire, no aversion for any appearances in a lucid dream for two reasons. How many reasons? Maybe it's a lot of them. Number one, they can't do you any harm. And they can't, they, appearances, they can't do you any good either. The appearance is not going to do you any good. They're empty as a reflection in a mirror. So that would be a good reason. Number two, you can change them any way you like. If you don't like crocodiles, you can have a cocker spaniel. Or... What is that called? The images, uh, images in my mind. Uh, haven't had one of these for decades. Uh, it's at the fair, that big ball of sugar. Cotton candy. What would you rather have? A crocodile eating you or a cotton candy in your hand? You have any preference? No. Within a dream, there's no real reason to have preference. You could have the crocodile made of chocolate. You know, and he comes in. <laughs> He's coming, and you're coming. <laughs> dark chocolate, dark chocolate crocodile. You know. So that's another reason not to hope, because you can change the, change the appearances any way you like. That's the second reason. And the third reason is, within the dream, if there's anything out there that you find in any way you don't care for, you know what you can do? Gone in seconds. Close your eyes, and the whole dream just vanishes. What's going to do? Wait for you? You know? Can you imagine a dream waiting for you until you open your eyes? When is he coming back? When's he coming back? All the people in the dream. Oh, he just closed his eyes. I hope he comes back soon. Otherwise, I might disappear too. <laughs> ha ha! Amazing, you know. So the analogy is really, really strong. It's the best analogy. 
just seeing anything in the dream, and now from the perspective of being deeply, truly awake, then this is it. This is the dream. You know? And you change it in ways that are unimaginable to sentient beings. So one of my favorite stories is uh, of Milarepa. And he was out with his disciple, I think maybe Rechumba. Don't know, but let's say Rechumba. Close disciple. And they're walking along out there in the Himalayas. Starts to rain. And Rechumba's walking in front of him. You know. It starts to rain. And Rechumba just keeps on walking ahead. They didn't have umbrellas back then. And, uh, and then, and then Rechumba turns his head back and, and he can't see his, his, can't, can't see his lama. Where's Milarepa? And he can't see him. And, uh, and then he sees him. And Milarepa, when he looks back, Milarepa, when the rain started coming down, he found an empty ram's horn. Just ram dropped its horn. Empty, we've all seen him. An empty ram's horn. And Milarepa took shelter inside the ram's horn. And I think Milarepa called out to him and said, Rachel, but what are you doing out there in the rain? But what was really remarkable Really remarkable in ways that why the story is so worth bearing in mind. Even if it's just a seed, if you don't believe it. That's okay, I don't care. But what makes the story remarkable is that when Rechumba looked back at his lama, taking shelter in that nice little cavern of the ram's horn, Milarepa had not gotten smaller, and the ram's horn had not gotten bigger. That showed that was a super mundane city. If he'd gotten smaller, or the ram's horn had gotten bigger, that would just be a mundane city. What you can do in any good lucid dream. You miniaturize yourself and go inside a ram's, ram's horn. Why not? If it's, if it's raining, why not? Or just find a ram's horn and make it bigger. Mundane city, no problem. But Milarepa was not. He had transcended mundane cities at that time. So without his becoming smaller, without the ram's horn becoming bigger, he took shelter from the rain and then teased his disciple. What are you doing out in the rain? So do not cling to appearances on all levels from the very beginning. And it starts, you know, basic lamrim, basic, basic teachings that if you're still, if your practice is still focusing on your way of life, your priorities, what you're doing with your life, if it's still really focused on being attached to acquiring stuff and averse to losing stuff, to finding sensual pleasures, and that, that includes status, power, wealth, and so forth. The pleasures from status, power, and wealth. Uh, finding such pleasures and avoiding the opposite. The unhappiness, dismay, and so forth. Of lose, losing any of these hedonic pleasures. Of receiving, wanting, hoping for, clinging to, being praised. And then fearing, ridicule, contempt, despising. And then finally that big broad one. They call it, just we have to give it a word reputation, but it's what people are saying about you. Not to your face, because that's praise or ridicule, but just what they're saying about you. What, who is that person? Who is that person, Emerson? What kind of person is she? Well, you know what I hear, you know. When she, when, when she was at the retreat, you know, this, this is what I saw. What, what, are you, you know, you know. what people are saying, what's in the air? Do people appreciate you? Do they respect you? Do they admire you? Do they acknowledge you? Or the opposite. And as long as the orientation of one's life is towards those, then you're, you're practicing dharma. It's called, in fact, you're practicing more than one dharma. You're practicing eight dharmas. <laughs> you're practicing the eight mundane dharmas, the eight mundane concerns. In which case, insofar as, because it's not good people and bad people, there's no binary here, but insofar as that's the orientation of your activities, and that very much includes meditation, then you're practicing eight mundane concerns and you are now just fueling, putting gasoline into the tank to make sure you have a good long ride in samsara. Because that's how it's perpetuated. You know? Clinging to appearances. You'll be sure in the dream there's going to be a nice long non-lucid dream. Because as long as some dreams go for as long as 90 minutes, Stephen LeBarge told me, as long as you're still there, I hope this happens and I, oh, I'm afraid this will happen and I hope she likes me and I hope he doesn't hurt me and... Mm, then you can have a nice long dream, but it will be definitely non-lucid all the way through. 
as long as it's out there, clinging to appearances. And that which distinguishes a Dharma practitioner from a non-Dharma practitioner is fundamental orientation to genuine happiness. Right? Dharma. Dharma is the cultivation, the pursuit, the realization of genuine happiness, all the way up to perfect awakening. Right? So, say, oh, we go back to the, the four partings from the four desires of clinging. They're so easy to remember. In Tibetan, it's so easy. Say, dilajena chupamin. If you cling to this life, the appearances, the concerns of this life, say, dilajena chupamin. You're not a Dharma practitioner. And you could be in retreat. You could do a three-year retreat. And you could never lie down. You could be only in your meditation box, meditating 12 hours a day. But say, If you're attached to this life, if this you're doing this, oh, I want to become a lama. When I finish this, if I can get through this somehow, when I come out, then I'll get the name lama. I'll be lama alam or lama this. And then... That'll be good, because then I can start teaching Dharma, and I can start getting disciples. Slowly, if I'm really clever, I'll get my own center. And then I, maybe I should publish some books, and then I can get more renowned, I have more students, and then, oh, that's going to be good. Yeah, definitely, I want to continue this re-retreat. Good. Or shamatha, how about shamatha? Oh, if I achieve shamatha, man, oh man, oh man, I'll get students. I'll get remount. I bet I'll get the scientists coming, and they're going to study my brain, and I'm going to blow their minds. I'm going to be on the front page of New York Times. <laughs> we finally found a yogi who's clearly achieved shamatha. We brought in, the, and I'll be that one. I'll be the one, and they will say my name, and I'll be there, and people will say, "Whoa, he's off the charts." Oh man, I want that. Boy, do I want that. I'm ready to practice shamatha. Absolutely, man. Or Dzogchen, or Sage Regeneration, or Completion, or anything, doesn't matter. Motivation, motivation, motivation. You know, so there it is. Say, also, do not cling to appearances. That pretty well wraps it up. Do not affirm non existence. So, there we go. Don't cling to that one either. Don't cling to becoming. Don't, be, don't cling to be unbecoming or to non existence. Do not reject existence. Don't go to that extreme of quiescence. Do not accomplish Buddhahood. Nothing to be acquired, nothing to be attained, nothing to be achieved. Not from this perspective. Relative perspective, sure, but not this perspective. Nothing to be achieved. Soon as, when you're resting in Rikpa, as soon as the thought, should it arise, and you cling to it, you identify with it, oh, I hope I achieve perfect awake. I hope I achieve rainbow body soon. That's just when you stop practicing. Right then. That's right then. Because then you're thinking from the perspective of a sentient being, and you're no longer practicing Dzogchen. You just took a vacation from Dzogchen. So, do not accomplish Buddhahood, do not practice meditation. You know who practices meditation, and who are people who should really should practice meditation. Sentient beings. They really need to. If you're a sentient being, aren't you tired of it? Haven't you drunk that dry? Is there anything more you want to know about being a sentient being, or have you pretty well got it figured out? No. If there's more you'd like to, if you'd like to have still a colorful life and so forth, and explore more dimensions of samsara, that's an option. You can, always, you can make that choice. But do not practice meditation. Up until, but not including, resting in Rigpa, practice meditation. Practice shamatha. Practice vipassana. Cultivate bodhicitta. Maybe practice stage regeneration and completion. Cultivate all the six perfections, etc. And avoid non-virtue. Abandon mental afflictions. Abandon obscurations of all kinds. So there's plenty to do. Very, very worthwhile doing. But once you're resting in Rikpa, do not meditate. I'll spank you. I'll, you know, I, I, if I see you resting in Rikpa and you start meditating, I'm going to spank you or say pet or something. Stop it. Stop it, you know. You're overdoing it. Do not cultivate the view, the Dzogchen view. Don't cultivate anything. Bear in mind that word, the, the the Tibetan word meditation is gomba, that means to familiarize. The Sanskrit word is what? Bhavana. And it means? Cultivation. Cultivation. Exactly right. Precisely right. Two gold stars. She just achieved two gold stars. Yeah. 
Do not cultivate the view. Do not cultivate the view. No more cultivation. Cultivation means you still want something from the cultivation. I'm cultivating, I want the crop. Don't cultivate anything. There's nothing to cultivate. Do not put a stop to deceptive appearances. That's clear. Do not experience pure appearances. Experience as in cultivating and seeking them and so forth. Really, there's nothing to do. The earlier treatise also states, for the view, observe self-emergent primordial consciousness. Now observe, of course, is a non-dual observation, a non-dual identification, but that's it, that is the view. To observe, to experience, to ascertain, to identify non-dually, self-emergent primordial consciousness. It is beyond virtue and vice, meditation and view. Amazing. Without moving from the ground, you know what the ground is? That primordial non-duality of Dharmadhatu and Dharmakaya. Without moving from the ground, whatever physical actions are performed, they are free of virtue and vice, benefit and harm, Ha ha. In other words, from your perspective, from your perspective, these distinctions have just vanished. They've evaporated. Right? Whatever comes up is a spontaneous display of primordial consciousness. Now, when it's manifesting, so there it is. You know where it's coming from. Now, for other people's mandala, like a Dingo Kenzirimbachi or Dujum Limba, Dujum, whoever it may be, a, a realized being, an enlightened being, there is the origin of their activities in the world. There it is, from their perspective, no virtue, no vice, etc., etc., what, everything was just said. But now, how about for other people in their mandalas? Because they're seeing the Dingo Kenzirimbachi over there, right? They're seeing these great beings over there, the Tuchi Rinpoche and the Chatur Rinpoche. Oh, the Chatur Rinpoche, look, he's 101 years old. Amazing. <laughs> wow, he's so old, so amazing. <laughs> and it looks very cool. Wise old man, old old man. So that's what it looks like from the center of your mandala. Right? And then you see these great beings. And you see that you see that it's just this ongoing flow of virtue in all directions. His Holiness Dalai Lama, just an ongoing flow of just virtue, like just a fountain of virtue everywhere he goes. Just virtue flowing in all directions. Right? Never any hatred, never any self-centered craving, attachment, never jealousy, never competitiveness, never arrogance. Just this ongoing spontaneous flow. Whatever it is, you know. Whatever it is, just there it is, just spontaneous flow. That's what it's like from your center in your mandala. For an enlightened being like that, from their center, no virtue, no vice. Just self-manifesting, spontaneously actualized. Whatever's coming up to be of service to sentient beings. So different perspectives from different centers of different mandalas, right? It's always been so. Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to go faster now. We, we move down. Observe the type of presence of the character of things. Just observe how things are. These appearances do not turn their coats or change their coloration from your perspective. Bear in mind, your perspective is a fourth time. That's got to be something unimaginable. From your perspective. They don't change their coloration. Amazing. Whatever joys and sorrows you enact, in reality, there is no change from your perspective. Ha <laughs> ha. Observe the great emptiness, the primordial consciousness that is the source of everything. Various recalled and imagined activities appear. Amazing. Whatever is done is liberated without birth in unceasing expanse. come back to the all-accomplishing sovereign. You know the, who the speaker is then. It's Samadabhadra. Be not distracted from the view of thoughts being liberated in their own state. Never move, never waver from that. Leave them there in their nature without making effort. Everything is self-emergent and is liberated in its own state. So Padmasambhava continues, thus all phenomena of appearances and consciousness are bound by no one and liberated by no one. There is no grasping there is no freedom from grasping by doing something. They're not grasped. They're not liberated by anything outside themselves. There's no antidotes. When you realize how they appear from a state that is primordially free of bondage and liberation, 
There's nothing to accept or reject anywhere. Due to knowing that whatever appears is of the nature of ultimate reality, apart from that, there is no fine meditation to be practiced. A bad thought is not to be cast away. Whatever happens, it is free from bondage and liberation. And now we find again this, this spiral, this cycling, that here we are deep into Dzogchen territory. And we come back to the second journey we live Dharma, the perfection of wisdom. The Prachamata states, form is unbound and unliberated. Omniscience is unbound and unliberated. Same thing. Realize that. And be liberated. These are pointing out instructions. As a result, like going to an island of jewels and gold, everything is liberated in the great emptiness of ultimate reality. The grasped meditative object is liberated in its own state, and you will become a Buddha with no transitional process. To become a Buddha with no transitional process means you won't die. If you become a Buddha in this lifetime, what's to die? You're the center of your mandala. What's to die? So you're not going to enter into the bardo. Your body might fall over if you don't achieve rainbow body. But um, you'll not go into the bardo. That's Buddhahood in this lifetime. There's a phrase that comes up a lot in Rajayana. Sechik luchik sangyawa. Sechik luchik sangyawa. It's in one lifetime and with one body, with one life in mind, one body becoming awakened. Right. So in the very body you already have, become awakened. Your body becomes awakened, becomes a Vajra body. Your speech becomes awakened. Vajra speech, your mind becomes awakened. Of course, Vajra mind. So that's the way. He just told you. If you'd like to put all of these hypotheses to the test, we can put it that way. Let's be scientific now, shall we? Let's not have blind faith. These are very good hypotheses. I wonder whether they're true. Good. Well, why not put all of them to the test? Every single one. And that includes Mount Meru, the four continents, everything. Why not put it all to the test? And you can. And you will have put them all to the test if you achieve Buddhahood in this lifetime. Then everything that was stated, you will have put it to the test. True or false? Literal or poetic? Metaphorical? Then you'll know. You will have run the experiment to the end, and then you'll know. There are three ways of becoming a Buddha. Well, that should catch your attention. There are three ways of becoming a Buddha. The best is by realizing the meaning of the four types, four great types of liberation, and becoming a Buddha in this very life, such that your aggregates, together with their contaminants, disappear in this lifetime. He didn't say at death, he said in this lifetime. So one can, one can interpret that in different ways. But my favorite interpretation is great transference rainbow body. That you didn't come to the end of your life and then go into the Tukdam and then something like that. No. When you're, I don't know, 45, 50 years old, 60 years old, you achieve Buddhahood then. And you've got years to go. You, know, you would have, you know, maybe karmically, you were going to die at 80. Maybe your karma, your, the petrol in your tank, was going to run out at age 80. You know? And so you had, you know, it's a real mileage to go. But at age 60, you're finished. You achieve perfect enlightenment. Great transference rainbow body. In which case, your aggregates, together with contaminants, karma, klesha, obscurations of all kinds, they disappear. Now what does that mean, though, disappear? Because we've, we've seen already that the mental afflictions don't simply disappear. They simply withdraw back into your anger, right? It doesn't disappear. It doesn't go poof. It, goes, it just dissolves right back into its source, into mirror-like primordial consciousness, right? Well, that's what happens to the body. The body doesn't just go poof. It dissolves into the energy, yeshiki lum, the energy of primordial consciousness. It disappears, but it does disappear. And if you wish, you can just, and then you're finished. Now you're samyak samputa, right? But if you wish, you could do it in an, in a, in a, in an eye blink, in an eye blink. So Beata could, right now, achieve great transference in body, and if I blinked, I wouldn't even notice. Because in a blink, she might simply achieve, and then the next blink, I think they might need me. Come back. But there would be no molecules, no atoms, no materiality 
inner body. It's an unborn body. And it will never die. That body will never die. And the other one simply dissolved into its source. So it didn't really die either. But she can come back in a finger snap. And she can come back as Beata, or she can come back as anything she likes. And that means throughout space and time. So that's, that's one way. This lifetime. That's what's to be done. And the place to do it? Mm, Tuscany. <laughs> that's the place. Middling, if you're not quite up to it, middling is to become a Buddha while dying by means of the instructions on transference, poa, or else to become a Buddha in the transitional process of re ultimate reality, the transitional processes of dhammata, by the power of truth becoming manifest. So there's two there. One is to become Buddha by, while dying, and that would be, be to enter right into the clear light of death and realize there by way of dharmakaya. That's one way. And then your body would go into rainbow body. Another way is to slip right through the clear light of death and into the immediately following transitional process of dhammata, of ultimate reality, with the peaceful and wrathful deities, recognizing all of them as empty of inherent nature, all of them pure displays of your own pristine awareness, recognizing them and achieving enlightenment by way of sambhokakaya. Okay? So those are two ways kind of put into one. And then the least is to become a Buddha by being released in a Nirmanakaya pure realm and the transitional pro process of becoming. So that's one. That's a big one. Now we've had instruction on that earlier, remember? Like the arrow shot with it by, a sharp, uh, by a strong archer. So that's when you didn't quite cut it. You didn't quite make it to achieve perfect awakening in that clear light of death. Right? And then you didn't quite make it in the bardo of Dhammata. So now you're into the bardo of becoming, which is where everybody goes. And, and people have all kinds of experiences there, positive, negative, fearful, pleasant. So you're into the hoi polloi, the ordinary, you know, oh, bardo, everybody's in bardo, you see all kinds of bardo. But because you're so well prepared, now you're going to do there what you did earlier in the dream yoga. You're going to shift, nay, what's it called, nay, I can't remember, but it's shifting your, nay po, I think it's called. You're shifting your environment, as you would in a lucid dream. You're shifting your environment. And you just shift it right over to pure land. And then you're in a pure land. Instead of being reborn as somebody, you just shift. I mean, your, your location shifts. You're not going way over there. You just, and where you are turns into pure land. You've been born in a pure land. Now achieve enlightenment as Nirmanakaya. That's a possibility, but we still all have another aspect of that, another possibility. And that is, or else, choose a fine birthplace. Take birth, encounter Dharma, and become a Buddha. So give people a chance. You know, become a tuku, and come back to really opportune circumstances and achieve enlightenment next time. That'd be good. Here are the instructions on the best way to be free of the craving of samadhi. That's where, where, where you can get stuck. The best way to be free of the craving of samadhi in the transitional process of meditation. How not to get stuck in shamatha. That's what it is. How not to get, this is how you do it. Searching for the mind, identifying awareness, dream yoga, boom, 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 and then this, then you will not get stuck in the substrate consciousness. So, the best way to become free of craving a samadhi in the transitional process of meditation on identifying the four great types of liberation and becoming a Buddha. That's how you don't get stuck in the substrate consciousness, by identifying the four great types of liberation. So become a Buddha. These are the instructions on the transitional process of meditation called the natural liberation of awareness. Samaya, sealed, sealed, sealed. And that concludes this transitional process. It concludes our engagement with this text in this retreat. For just one moment, let's dedicate merit, okay? Just one moment, quietly, to your highest aspirations.
Very good. Very good. So I'll have a little surprise for you tomorrow afternoon. Something outside this text, but which will be perfectly complement what we've just finished reading. Exactly that. Those different ways of achieving shamatha, achieving enlightenment, especially the third way. I have something quite juicy for you, but I'm going to keep it a surprise. Enjoy your evening. I need to go off. I'd love to join you for dinner, but uh, I probably won't see Klaus for quite some time. He's invited me for dinner tonight. So, of course, I'm going. So, wish you all a very tasty meal, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs>